0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 2nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarn and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal rejected a claim of psychiatric injury for a worker who has suffered a fall from a ladder. Here's what happened in the published opinion of the State Compensation Insurance Fund versus the WCAB and Rigoberto Garcia. Cole Ranch employed Garcia as an avocado picker, high tree worker. Approximately two months later, Garcia fell from the top of a 24-foot ladder while picking avocados from a high tree. He suffered a serious and obvious head injury and sought workers' compensation benefits for his industrial injury to his teeth, psyche, neck, and back. The state fund admitted liability for the physical injuries but denied the psychiatric injury because Garcia had not worked for at least six months as required by Labor Code Section 3208.3. The sole question submitted for trial was whether Garcia's psychiatric injury qualified as a sudden and extraordinary employment condition for purposes of avoiding the six-month employment requirement. The state fund did not dispute that the fall was sudden, but denied that it was extraordinary. Garcia was the only witness at trial. He testified that between 1992 and the injury, he had never fallen off a ladder. No one at Cole Ranch ever advised him of the risk of falling from a ladder and that, as far as he knew, no other Coal Ranch picker had fallen from a ladder. Cole Ranch did not hold any safety meetings or provide him with a safety harness. The work comp judge ruled that Garcia's testimony established his injury was the result of a sudden and extraordinary employment condition. And the WCAB denied reconsideration in a split panel decision. The Court of Appeal, in the published opinion, decided that the sudden and extraordinary employment condition exception encompasses the type of events that would naturally be expected to cause psychiatric disturbances, even in a diligent and honest employee. However, a fall under these circumstances cannot be described as an uncommon unusual, and totally unexpected occurrence. Although the state fund did not call any witnesses, they did not have the burden of proof. That burden was for Mr. Garcia to overcome, and his award was overruled. The Court of Appeals scheduled oral argument in the Valdez MPN case. Last April, the WCAB issued the en banc decision in Elaine Valdez v. Warehouse Demo Services. The case resolved the long-term uncertainty about the admissibility of the reports of non-MPN physicians. The opinion is now pending before the 2nd District Court of Appeal, and the industry must now wait to determine if the case will remain law. After Elaine Valdez filed a claim for industrial injury, the employer admitted her claim to most of the alleged body parts that were injured, and she was sent for medical treatment to the employer's MPN. Applicant then began treating with a non-MPN physician upon referral from her attorney. The WCAB, in a split-unbonced decision, ruled that non-MPN physician reports are not admissible when the employer has properly complied with MPN regulations. Accordingly, the non-MPN reports are not admissible to determine an applicant's eligibility for compensation. Furthermore, the WCAB concluded that there's no reason to find a defendant liable for the costs of such reports. Valdez filed a petition for writ of review with the Court of Appeal in November, and on March 19th, the Court of Appeal issued the writ. This matter is set for oral, oral argument on May 4th in Los Angeles. It is expected that there will be a decision before the end of 2012. And now our fraud report. The Hacienda La Puente Unified School District has settled a fraud lawsuit brought against a physical education teacher. Mark McLeve agreed to pay the district $5,000 in a settlement of the civil case. McLeve fell off of a desk in a classroom and injured his right elbow in 2010. He received industrial accident illness leave of absence payments worth over $35,000. The district then learned that McLeave had been gainfully employed at Del Mar Racetrack. The district confronted McLeave and he admitted to working for various racetracks while on disability. This is the latest case involving the large district pursuing employees for receiving benefits illegally. Last May, Alfred Thomas Velasquez pleaded guilty to workers' compensation insurance fraud and was ordered to pay over $4,000 to the district. Last December, another employee, April Metzinger, was sentenced to probation and ordered to pay restitution for insurance fraud. She paid the district $5,000 in restitution. The U.S. Attorney's Office in San Diego unsealed a 16-count criminal indictment charging Lee Ray Schoen of Chula Vista with mail fraud, wire fraud, false statements to obtain federal employers' compensation, and false statements to a government agency. The indictment alleges that Schoen defrauded the government in the approximate amount of $400,000 by causing them to issue workers' compensation and disability payments to which he was not entitled. The indictment claims that Schoen falsely represented to the Department of the Navy and Department of Veterans Affairs that back or knee injuries prevented him from working as a Navy civilian employee, and that he was not engaged in any employment. However, Schoen was operating a landscaping business in which he personally performed landscaping work for numerous individuals, prepared written estimates and monthly bills, and collected payment for the landscaping services he and his employees rendered. Mail fraud and wire fraud are each punishable by up to 20 years in prison and fines up to $250,000. The Ventura County District Attorney announced that Yadir Espinoza pled guilty to workers' compensation insurance fraud, a felony. Espinoza was employed at Collision 101 in Westlake Village. He filed a workers' compensation claim for a slip-and-fall injury. Espinoza failed to disclose prior injuries to his medical providers that were relevant to the treatment of his work comp claim. As a result of his conduct, Espinoza received approximately $40,000 to which he was not entitled. Espinoza is scheduled to be sentenced on April 24th in courtroom 12 of the Ventura County Superior Court. The Santa Barbara District Attorney announced that Robert James Christensen of Buelton, California, has been placed on five years probation. He's also ordered to serve 180 days in the Santa Barbara County Jail and pay restitution in the amount of $35,000 to Rodney Williams Construction and over $153,000 to the State Compensation Insurance Fund. Christensen was convicted of committing workers' compensation fraud in February. Mr. Christensen claimed he had been injured in 2008 while working for Rodney Williams Construction. He was placed on total disability and began to receive workers' compensation benefits and medical treatment. A few months later, Mr. Christensen was observed by insurance investigators to be performing work he claimed he was incapable of performing. And in medical news, a new study says that electronic health records saves insurance companies money on duplicative testing. Doctors ordered fewer lab tests when they have access to a patient's electronic medical records, but the efficiency may be confined to state-of-the-art record exchanges for now. The study is based on the experience of two hospitals, Brigham and Woman's, and Massachusetts General in Boston. Back in 2000, the two hospitals established a health information exchange to access each other's electronic medical records. Researchers looked at the records of over 117,000 people who were outpatients at one of the hospitals after the new program had been implemented. They found that the number of lab tests went down if there were recent lab tests available. For patients without prior tests, the amount slightly increased, however. The new study results do not agree with some past research. Findings published earlier this month in the journal Health Affairs suggested office-based physicians with electronic access to imaging and lab results do not decrease the number of tests ordered. In fact, they may increase it. The results of the newer study seems to apply only to cutting-edge technology. Law enforcement officials are alarmed by the rise of Opana abuse, which started after OxyContin was changed in late 2010 to make that drug more difficult to snort or inject for a heroin-like high. Opana abuse can be deadly because it is more potent per milligram than OxyContin, and users who are not familiar with how strong it is may be vulnerable to overdosing. Opana, known by such street names as Stop Signs, The O-Bomb, and New Blues, is crushed and either snorted or injected. Crushing defeats the pill's extended-release design, reflecting the drug all at once. Oxycontin's new pills make it harder to crush them into a powder as they instead become gummy and cannot be readily snorted or injected. This drove abusers to switch to Opana or to generic immediate-release forms of oxycodone. Drug abuse experts have also found an increase in heroin use. Endopharmaceuticals, which produces Opana, announced in December that it would reformulate the drug. The new bill is being manufactured now. The new formulation makes it difficult to crush and it turns viscous or gooey if an abuser tries to add liquid to it. But the old form of Opana is still available and pharmacy and home robberies are on the rise as addicts search for a way to get the older pill. One Opana pill brings up to $90 on the street depending on dosage, so it is tempting to sell, said Scott County Sheriff Dan McLean. And in other news, in many states, subsequent injury funds are going broke and going away. With hundreds of thousands of wounded veterans looking for work after World War II, many states offered businesses an incentive to hire the returning heroes. They created special disability funds known as subsequent injury funds. These funds helped pay the tab should a soldier with a missing arm or eye suffer a second debilitating injury in a private sector job. Over the ensuing decades, these funds provided aid not only to veterans, but to thousands of others with pre-existing ailments. The subsequent injury funds are meant to encourage hiring of disabled workers by limiting businesses' financial risk. A little over half the states still have second injury funds, but rising costs have contributed to the closure of some of these funds over the past two decades. South Carolina's Second Injury Fund is due to be phased out by next year. It stopped considering claims from injuries that happened after June 2008 because of rising losses that resulted in surcharges to employers and insurers of nearly $200 million annually. New York created the nation's first Second Injury Fund in 1916. It closed the fund to all new claims in July 2010, when its outstanding liabilities topped $18 billion. And the New Jersey fund has also been plagued by cash flow problems, as well as Missouri's second injury fund, which is on the verge of insolvency. Last year, the fund collected $43 million from businesses, while its obligations increased to $77 million. To cope with the growing shortfall, Attorney General Chris Coaster quit settling cases in late 2009, forcing them to drag out through a hearing process. He laid off about one-third of the attorneys who defend the fund, and last year he quit paying new awards for permanent disability total cases. The state now owes about $15 million to more than 190 people who were awarded benefits in the past year. Oklahoma was in a similar situation about a decade ago, but later adopted a new flexible surcharge and reinstated its fund in 2005. Critics of 2nd injury funds contend they have outlived their purpose and shift costs to small businesses that may never benefit from the funds. The Americans with Disabilities Act provides greater legal protections to workers than existed during the World War II era. And critics point out that today's veterans also have better access to federal health care benefits. A lengthy hearing last month in California Assembly indicated that one of the Capitol's longest-running political wars is being reignited over the rules governing workers' compensation. Roughly once a decade, those with stakes in the system wage battle over eligibility rules and medical care and benefit levels. The last major change occurred in 2004 when a newly inaugurated Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger bulldozed the legislature into enacting cost-cutting changes. Administrative rules subsequently issued by Schwarzenegger's administration went even further. The overhaul resulted in a sharp reduction of employer costs, but it has drawn years of criticism from other stakeholders that disabled workers are receiving inadequate compensation. That medical care is also too tightly controlled, and that insurers are losing money on work comp policies. Wednesday's hearing aired all of those complaints, as well as employers' resistance to raising their costs in the midst of an economic downturn. And, at least for now, employers apparently have support from Governor Jerry Brown, who has been cultivating businesses to support tax increases to balance the state budget. It's not a new issue for Governor Brown. He attempted and failed to overhaul workers' comp during his first governorship more than three decades ago. As one of his last gubernatorial acts in 1982, he signed legislation that raised benefits by about $3 billion a year over objections of employers. The legislature enacted another big change in the system a decade later, followed by the Schwarzenegger overhaul in 2004. The hearing by the Assembly's Labor and Insurance Committees came to no conclusions. But it came to no one's surprise that the legislature's majority Democrats want to make some modifications to the system. If history is any guide, however, it's more likely to be an exercise in power politics than political compromise. And with that, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and for much, much more. And please remember you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for some more news.